Welcome to another episode of the No Plain Views podcast with your hosts, Brandon Mintz and Harris Eisenberg. We are here recording today on Thursday, October 6th, actually in the middle of a little Thursday night football action between, I would say, two of the most underwhelming teams thus far in the NFL season, the Denver Broncos and the Indianapolis Colts. The, from what I've seen so far, these two teams have done pretty much what they've done all year, which is fail, fail to move the ball. So, uh, it seems that the the primetime games, especially Thursday night football this year, have been pretty disappointing. But it's just it's just one of those things where you're waiting for one of those two teams that I mean, I know I personally had both in my postseason picture preseason and Harris had the Colts and his have just not played up to snuff. And it does not help that they're without their two of their most dynamic playmakers, the Colts losing Jonathan Taylor for this week and the Broncos losing Javante Williams for this year. So what was supposed to be a battle of young electric running backs has become a battle of place fillers that were, are being pulled off practice squad. So definitely a disappointing game tonight, but what a week it was in week four of the NFL season. And once again, there's some, some positive stuff to talk about for the New York teams. Another week where both of the teams are able to pull out wins, both in a similar gritty fashion. But if you know me, you know I have to dive right into the Jets here. And man, was that a roller coaster of a football game. I mean... There was so much good and so much bad to take away from that game. My head was sort of spinning when it finally ended, and we had more points than Pittsburgh. It was just so much to dive into here, and and you have Pittsburgh going to Kenny Pickett, and just so much. I mean, where do I start? I'll start with the negative, because the positive really all happened toward the end of the game. So you have the Jets come out here, and and you know this is a, a good opportunity for you to get a win here. They, the Steelers are wrong with Mitch Trubisky. They've had trouble moving the ball all year. And it's Zach Wilson's return. So you come into this game with somewhat expectation of coming out there. And, and you'd like to come out hot, put the, put the throttle on right away with Zach Wilson. And to no one's surprise, there was a little bit of rust there. He had not gotten. It's been a common theme that Zach has missed a lot of important reps in his first couple of years. And, and, and it was obvious to tell that he did not have that immediate connection with with the offense right away. And, and there was definitely some rust to be shaken off. And, and, and that's really not the stuff that I'm as, as worried about. Whereas again, with Zach, it feels like his head might be a bigger issue than his actual abilities. It's sometimes the decision-making that is what gets him in trouble. And, and the first thing that I go to was right before halftime where Zach forces a ball Jets are in field goal position, a chance to put three more points on the board in what was in, in what was a close game, and you throw an interception that ends up resulting in three points for Pittsburgh. And how those three points happened for Pittsburgh was, uh, I'll get into the penalty that led to that in a second, but it's that type of decision-making in those fine moments in the game that actually have big outcomes in the way this one shook out. And, and for the Jets, luckily, they were able to come up on the winning side of this one but that's the stuff with Zach that sometimes I worry. I mention all the time with Daniel Jones with the decision-making. Zach just has a knack for that boneheaded interception. And sometimes for as good as a game as you could play, that one, that one mistake really could outweigh a lot of the positives. So like that's something that I think we're going to have to see with Zach as we move forward here. And I understand it was his first game back. But I more attribute missing receivers and maybe the occasional miscommunication for Rust 
not so there's the poor decision, which was that throw. So that's something that I've always had a concern with Zach about. But then you look at the other side of Zach and look at all the things he does bring to the table. First off, the, not having a statue back there what made a night and day difference for this Jets team. For a Jets offensive line that is already down Makai Becton and Dwayne Brown, as we know, that loses Noah Fant last week, that loses the replacement's replacement, Max Mitchell, in this game. You have Elijah Vera Tucker slide over to the left side of the offensive line, which we got to give him his just due to be able to move over to the other side of the line in just your second year in a mid-game adjustment and be able to pull that off. Huge props to AVT. He's he's come on as a really, really, really key cog of this Jets offense. But having Zach back there, you saw there was some crazy plays where he's ducking and diving and maneuvering his way out of the pocket to be able to throw balls away and just being able to limit those huge negative plays that we saw get Joe Flacco all the time, just getting taken down in the pocket when there was any sort of a, a pass rush. Zach was able to really be elusive back there. And, and he by no means is not a Lamar Jackson, a Kyler Murray type runner, but he is a mobile quarterback that is able to roll out and able to actually navigate what was a, a pretty solid pass rush from the Steelers. So that is a huge, huge thing for the Jets to be able to at least manage while their offensive line is down as you look to Hopefully get back Dwayne Brown, who's placed on IR right before the season started. He's game time this week. So getting him back, if you check out the at No Plain Views Twitter, I actually put out my three biggest takeaways from the game. And number three was the Jets really need to get Dwayne Brown back. Like this offensive line is, is down pretty bad right now. And getting a veteran stable presence out there at the tackle position would be huge for them. But Zach was able to mitigate a lot of that. And then the other thing is you really saw the creativity come out with this Jets offense with Zach back there. I mean, they draw up in the red zone, a Philly special. You, you get Zach rolling out as a receiver and Braxton Berrios hits him for a touchdown. That was the Jets' first score of the game. And I, like, I'd be lying if there wasn't a huge smile on my face. That was a great creative trick play in the end zone that you were able to maneuver a guy like Braxton that, that could be such a Swiss Army knife and use Garrett Wilson as a decoy in that play. And Zach ends up catching a wide open touchdown, hits the gritty, whatever. I'm, I'm with it. But that was something. And then you even see it. Obviously, this play did not work out as well where they – Get, got the ball to Michael Carter, and then Michael Carter tries throwing the ball back across field to Zach Wilson. Uh, that, Zach Wilson ends up dropping that ball, but is luckily able to recover it and throw it out of bounds. But the point being that the Jets offense is really able to expand in a way that you couldn't with Joe Flacco, or they couldn't even in previous, just last year when you were working with Mike White and Josh Johnson. Like Zach has these has the ability, and he I feel like he has intangibles to be able to work with a more creative playbook. And I and I liked seeing Michael Floor open it up to those type plays. And one of them worked brilliantly. And then the other one almost totally blew up in your face, but that that's what you're getting into with the trick play. And, and I like to see more of it going forward. This is not something I want to see taking too much of the attention because then you don't want to get too cute, like stick to your offense. But I think Zach is a big reason why you're able to do those things. Those are the positives with Zach there before we get to the actual fourth quarter. Like I mentioned before, right before halftime, Zach Wilson throws interception takes three points off the board for the Jets. Then as Joe Burrow is hurling a Hail Mary ball going into the half, you have Carl Lawson take a rough in the passer that moves them into field goal range, three points, boom, for the Steelers going into half. Boswell and there's a 59-yarder. If we were not playing a sorry Pittsburgh Steelers team, this is something that really would have hurt us. That's a six-point swing in the matter of a minute, all on you. Boneheaded decision by your quarterback and then a boneheaded decision by one of your veteran forces on the defense. That's not something that Carl Lawson should be doing. So those are the things sometimes where like even in a Jets win, they got to tighten some of this stuff up because you're going to play them, the Dolphins this week. And as they get into their schedule where you run into teams like the Bills and the Packers, that's 
there, there's no way you're going to overcome stuff like that. Like it's, it's just not going to happen. So uh, I don't know if that's, if, if that's just a thing where you have a guy like Carl Lawson, who's been out for a year and he's just so eager to make a play or, or if Sauer needs to get in there and really tighten this stuff up, but that is not going to fly. So you go in and, and they go to Kenny Pickett after the half. And it gave me flashbacks of when Baker Mayfield came in the game a couple of years ago when the Jets were beating the Browns and Mayfield comes in, lights a fire underneath and the Browns go on to win that game. And like clockwork, Kenny Pickett comes in, rushes a couple balls in the end zone. And now the Steelers are winning this ball game. And I'm like, wow, it, it's legitimate deja vu. An early season rookie quarterback gives the team a spark to overcome a Jets lead. But then is when Zach Wilson really kicked in. And this was the thing that made this win totally different than any win of the past four years. It's that your young quarterback did something that you think could have tangible, positive impact on the future of this football team. This is not a, this is not a flash in the pan Joe Flacco win, a flash in the pan Mike White win. This was your young rookie quarterback going out there and getting it done in crunch time, the fourth quarter. You look at Zach's full line here. He was 19 for 37, 252 yards, two total touchdowns, two picks. Now, where Zach made his money in this game, how about six for six on the game-winning drive? In the fourth quarter as a whole, he was 10 for 12 with 128 yards and a touchdown with a quarterback rating of just a shade under 140. Zach buckled down in the fourth quarter here. And you saw him. To me, it was, it was the poise, it looked, all the rust, all of the just the, the unsettling nature of that first, even three quarters, Zach took the ball, dropped back, whoosh, dart to Corey Davis. Boom. Missile right over the middle on third downs, fourth downs, not in short, third and eight, fourth and nine. He just went back there and just got it done. It was so encouraging to see Zach do this because the arm talent has never been in question. So to see Zach in a fourth quarter here, down in a rocks environment like Pittsburgh, just, just get back there and do what he does best. Swing it. That was super, super encouraging. I mean, there's you try not to overreact in such a small sample size, but when you have your young quarterback here in his first game back and he doesn't look particularly great for the first three quarters, I think there's a little bit to be said about him really calming down and getting it done for the Jets in a fourth quarter where they, where they lost the lead. It would have been easy for a team to fold over there. But I think that's one thing we've learned about this Jets team is there's no quitting them. They, do they have the most talent? No. Are they the, just the most tightened, tightened up? We're not going to make any mental mistakes. They're not that either. But do they play hard for 60 full minutes? Absolutely. And that was my biggest takeaway of this game is that we've now seen it in the Jets' two wins, both on the road, they were able to overcome some adversity. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. I, I could keep going on and on here, Harris. I want to get you in here. But the, the last note, the Jets had gone 50 straight road games without sealing up consecutive road victories. They break that streak on Sunday. Harris, give me your thoughts. Well, first, before I get into my thing, I just want to give a huge shout out. And this is not a sponsor to American Airlines, because the fact that I was able to watch NFL Red Zone on an airplane is probably the greatest thing I've ever done. So shout out to them. Um, getting to the game. I do agree with you because, you know, you look at the Jets, they don't have a lot of talent, right? So their margin of error is razor thin. So when you get on Zach Wilson for all that stuff, yeah, it's all agreeable, but that fourth quarter, those two drives at the end of the game, oh my God, it, it was like, it was like a new sense of optimism came over me when I, when I was like, okay, the Jets are down 10, but here's Zach Wilson, right? Even though he made all those mistakes in the first half and in the third quarter, it's like, here we go. Like, this is where, you know, 
he's either going to be really mature or he's going to, you know, look like a rookie. And I, I do want to give credit to Corey Davis. I, I think the two routes that he ran in that second to last drive, the fourth and seven, and then the touchdown were, were really impressive for him just to find a little separation and Zach hit him. Uh, you know, we give so much criticism to Corey Davis for his drops, but I mean, to go to him on fourth and seven and he runs a really good route and Wilson's able to find him for a first down to keep the drive going and get in the red zone two plays later. Fantastic. Uh, you know, good for Corey Davis and he ends up scoring the touchdown. Now, the mistakes came in because you got in the red zone on that second drive or second to last drive. And I believe it was what two penalties set you, set you back a little bit, but you know, Zach stayed mature again, found Corey Davis in the end zone. It's a three point game. Then you pick off Kenny Pickett, which again, the defense is playing hard. Only allowed 20 points. I mean, that's not bad, even though the steel, you know, the Steelers are a well-coached team, like we said last week. And even though it's Kenny Pickett, you know, they still find ways to get in the end zone. Um, and then the last trip, Brees Hall, what a game he had, right? That combination of Brees Hall and Michael Carter. I mean, the, granted that this was probably the first Jets game. I really had the chance to watch the game, the whole game in its entirety. Brees Hall looks, looked phenomenal in that game. He, he was fantastic. So he goes in for the game winning score the ultimate game-winning score. And you're right. It was just a really mature Zach Wilson. It was just this feeling again, when you got into the fourth quarter, it's like, you know, it's classic Jets, you know, it's third and long. And then you go to fourth and then you go to fourth down and there's like no way they're going to, they're going to convert. But it was just like this different feeling that Zach Wilson was here and there was not Joe Flacco and it was not Mike White. And you were like, all right, let's see what he's made of. It was a positive thing. I felt really positive about watching that drive and he did really well. So, I mean, good on Zach Wilson. Good for the Jets to get a win. They do have a lot of things to clean up. Don't get me wrong. And, yeah, I, I do want to – I ju just did want to give a lot of credit to Corey Davis there because I thought those two routes he ran um, in the second-to-last drive were, were really good. You made a lot of great points there. I mean, Corey Davis, that, that's a guy that I've – I feel like especially me, I, I've had no issue giving him some flack for whether it be looking a little checked out of games and the drop issues, but – Corey came up huge here, five catches, 74 yards, and, and that touchdown that, that eventually set up the Jets being able to go ahead with the Brees Hall touchdown. Like, and, and you could tell it, Corey was a guy that Zach actually felt like he had a rapport with. You could see that there was some sort of connection there. Obviously, they were together last year, and, and I think that's fair because he really has gotten essentially no reps with Garrett Wilson. You see Garrett go out there, probably have his worst game so far this year, just two catches and 41 yards, but that's to be expected. Zach has a lot to has a lot of stuff to learn with Garrett to get that to get all that stuff down, but in that relationship between a quarterback and a receiver. So I'm really, I have no worries there, but it was nice to see him sort of use Corey as a security blanket and Corey actually live up to that paycheck that he's making with the Jets. That was a huge game for him. He's actually put, putting together a pretty nice season here so far, statistically, obviously with, with the drops and that sometimes you just, just want to smash your head against the wall. And it feels like it's with him. It's always on a third down, but here he really did come through because he did catch some of those late in drive plays that kept that kept them alive in the fourth quarter. And, and that was definitely nice to see. I mean, Brees Hall, I, I think you'd have to be naive to think that the Jets don't have something special here. I mean, Brees looks really good. The Jets are targeting him in the past game, shows the trust they have. He was, a, he was a multifaceted player in college, both on the ground and in the air, and you're seeing that right here. He had 17 carries, 66 yards, and a touchdown. On top of that, two catches on six targets. I think the six targets is a very positive sign to see how they want to incorporate him in the passing game. 
and Brees extending with that left hand for the pylon. Oh my God. That is chills, honestly, to see your young rookie running like that will that football into the pater. Like that was just such a nice play there. Great grit, toughness from Brees. And I just think if you haven't, if you didn't watch the game or, or you, you were just zoning in and out a little bit and you didn't truly just take in that, especially that last drive from Zach, go check it out. There's videos where you could just watch all of his plays from that fourth quarter, last game-winning drive. He looked so good. And I think that is something that if you're going to take one thing out of this Jets game, or for, to be honest, this Jets season so far, it was that fourth quarter from Zach. And especially the last drive, because that's when all the pressure is on. You mess up here, you lose the game. It's make or break time, and he did not break. So Zach comes out here. You you know, there's there's going to be growing pains still. Another thing I took note of, he on a throwaway ball, on a ball that he was just purposely trying to throw out of bounds, he ends up keeping it so close to the sideline that they were really almost able to pick it off. It was the, 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 the defensive back was a couple – inches away from keeping his feet inbounds what was just supposed to be a toss away Zach if you're throwing it out chuck it in the stands but I think that's one of the things that you're dealing with in a second year quarterback that is really not that hasn't had a full season yet that hasn't had a full off season yet due to some injuries and other factors there's going to be some growing pains here but in overall I think you got to be thrilled with what you saw out of Zach it's another Jets win a road win you come in here this week you're hosting the Miami Dolphins the two list Miami Dolphins we, we broke down Thursday Night Football on last episode. Tua has been ruled out versus the Jets. You have a home game here against Teddy Bridgewater. And the, the one thing you'd think is, how are we going to stop Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill? But if there's one unit on this team that I feel great about, it's the secondary. I mean, DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner are a legit, legit cornerback duo. I mean, Sauce, man. I mean, does he not look like the real thing or what? Just this game, Sauce targeted seven times. It was just two catches for nine yards with a forced incompletion. When he was targeted in this game, quarterback passer rating of 40. I mean, Sauce is Sauce is coming out right now, and, and you got to love you got to love what you're seeing from Sauce. He looks like he has that, that elite cornerback one makeup that you see in some of the greats. And, and to put him alongside veteran DJ Reed, that's becoming one of the, the more vocal leaders on this team, I think the Jets should be able to manage their way with Tua with no Tua, regardless of the fact that Jalen Waddle and Tyreek are obviously two of the most dynamic playmakers in this league. Having Teddy out there, who has limitations with his arm, should put the Jets in an even better spot to limit this Miami offense and go out and hopefully go over 500. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think being at home, you know, we say it about the Giants a lot because the Giants have been home a few, quite a few times this year. Is that you know, I hope the Jets fans pack the place on Sunday and and, and make it hard on the Dolphins. You know, I, I am a big believer in the crowd helping out your home team. And you're right. I mean, DJ Reed, you know, played really well in that game against Pittsburgh too. You know, he he had four tackles. Sauce Gardner, like you said, had that one pass deflected and he had three tackles as well. But, you know, like I said, you know, to stop Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, need someone to throw the ball to them, right? They don't really have that right now in the Dolphins. So is it a winnable game? Yes. It becomes at least more winnable than – it was if Tua were in. So, you know, here's an opportunity, right, to go over 500 and to do it at home. You know, both of your wins have come on the road. I think it's an important game for the Jets, you know, even if they don't win, just to go out there and show to the fans, it's like, hey, like, here's a mature Zach Wilson. If we can get fourth quarter Zach Wilson to be a little more consistent, 
And, and you know, the defense, you know, Jeff fans know what the defense is all about. Um, I, I think it could turn out pretty well. You know, just like I said in episode one, the whole season for the Jets, in my opinion, is just about building optimism for the future. Because like we said, the Jets are in a really good spot. So if they can put up a really good fight against the Dolphins, I'm not saying they're going to win the game, but if they put up a really good fight, I think that's just a good sign for everybody. I, I really like to see, see a sharp Zach from the get-go in this one. Totally understandable with the rust factor, and they, they were away. Here you have a nice, cushy home game where you've now had a, a full week of practice. I, I'd like to see a sharper version of Zach coming out the gate in this one. I don't want to have to wait to the fourth quarter to see what I think is the best possible version of him. I'd like to see it from the beginning here in your home stadium, in front of your home fans, in a spot to be able to go for over 500 in October. I mean, I know my preseason wish for the Jets was just to, I'd, I'd personally enjoy some meaningful football post-Halloween. So a win here would go a long way to that. And I, I, I'd be lying if I said I'm not extremely excited and hopeful for what this upcoming week is going gonna, is gonna to present because now we're actually doing it with, at least a guy that could be our future. There is some long-term ramifications of what Zach was able to pull off in this fourth quarter. So a lot to look forward to there, but the Jets were not the only team once again to win in New York this week, the Giants, a 20 to 12 victory, another gritty football game that they, it seems that's how they're going to win these. The Giants are not going to win them with style or, or, or the big play. They're going to sort of just, just grind them out and, and find ways to win. And, and to their credit, they, they did win at home against the Chicago bears. It was a very interesting game where at one point you lose Daniel Jones to injury and then down goes Tyrod Taylor and, and you're running, you're running wildcat with Saquon Barkley for a drive it. And, and I think that's a big testament to the coaching staff. Now they're able to pull together a game plan when, when the unthinkable happens, you don't have a quarterback, but it, it was, it's just one of those things where the, you can't blame the giants for beating the teams on their schedule. They've been presented an opportunity to do some damage against what we had a feeling coming into the season. We're not going to be good football teams. And, and to their credit, they've capitalized. I mean, you, you got to, and, and especially, I mean, no Kadarius Tony, you lose their own shepherd for the year. You're presented with essentially nothing in the wide receiver room. They, they're receivers. They're four receivers that were targeted at least once in this game. Darius Slate and Richie James, David Sills and Kenny Galladay. Overall combined for three catches on eight targets with the leading yardsman in that game, Darius Slayton with 11 yards. So they're working with essentially nothing in the air game. You're down your two quarterbacks, your receiving room's depleted, but what does that leave? Overliable Saquon Barkley. 31 carries, 146 yards. I mean, he has been vintage. It, it is truly great to see Saquon look like the guy that that took, the, took New York by, by seeing when he came in his rookie year after being the number two overall pick. Saquon looks great. Giants coaching staff's clearly stepped up in this one. Giants win again. There's not much more to it, Harris. Let's let's hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'll get into Saquon real quick before I break it down. You know, can is there a serious argument here that Saquon could be a top three running back in the league right now? I, I personally think there's a possibility that he could be right in the fold. Um, I think it's hard to say I, he's not. Yeah. I I I definitely think for sure. But you know, my takeaways from this, you know, you started with some negatives and you know, when you try and break down the giant negatives, there really isn't much aside from the fact that they're depleted and they're injured. <laughs> you know, that's really about it. Now, you can take one negative and say that combined, Danny Jones and Tyrod Taylor only threw the ball 16 times. Well, both of them were out of the game at one point. So wash that away. 
But the way the Giants, you know, we say good teams win, great teams cover, but great teams also find a way to win football games. And that is all on the coaching staff right there. I think the fact that they were using their legs was fantastic. Total rushing yards for the Giants, 262, which is fantastic. Now, another thing that happened for the first time this season in what is now a three and one first four games for the Giants, the Giants hadn't scored a first half touchdown all year long until last Sunday. Daniel Jones got in the end zone with his legs twice. So they haven't thrown in the end zone in the first half. But they've been able to run. And I think Daniel Jones was really dynamic in this game. He was able to use his legs when he needed to throw the short pass. He was able to. I like how they used their tight ends really well, especially Bellinger. I believe he had three catches. So, you know, that's also a really good thing. Now, I'll break down the defense real quick because I do think one negative lies here. They allowed the Bears to convert some big plays in this game. Uh, You know, there was a third and 20 that the Bears converted. There was a third and 15, but the defense came up so clutch when they when Chicago got in the red zone. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think that's what matters. I think they got to clean it up a little bit going into, obviously, it's going to be tough to do it against the Packers, but a couple guys I want to point out here. Tate Crowder had himself an unbelievable game. You know, he forced that fumble, um, which essentially sealed the deal for the Giants um, within the last couple minutes of the fourth quarter on the, on the the uh, on the punt. He also had a sack and 11 tackles, and he also got to the quarterback twice. I mean, if you watch the highlights of the Giants game, he was all over. Dexter Lawrence had a couple sacks. So, you know, I I think the Giants are in business here. I I think they're able to find a way to win football games. I do think it's a lot on the coaching. And you could say, obviously, the limit in the amount they throw the ball is because the fact that their two quarterbacks were injured makes sense. But Brian Dable has a plan to manage the game in that way where the quarterbacks don't have to throw the football a lot. So I think if they can get healthy, you know, Julian Love has a concussion, so he's out. Evan Neal, we know, was out. Um, Kenny Galladay, it doesn't even matter. He was only targeted once, and it was on a third down play, and the throw was nowhere near him. He's out with a knee injury now, and Aaron Robinson's out too. So, you know, it's going to be a tough test against Green Bay. But, again, you go into MetLife, the place is rocking, and Saquon has a vintage Saquon Barkley game, which, by the way, through the first four weeks of the se- uh, of the season, Saquon has the most rushing yards of any Giants running back in franchise history through the first four games. So you know we're on a little we're on a little path here. I'm not saying it's 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 a historic year for the Giants, but they're also off to a three and one start, which is is their best start since 2011. So I think this is an important game coming up with Packers too, because if you look at the standings, you know you got Dallas who you know their QB controversy, but uh, you know Cooper Rush, I think Dak Prescott might be back this week. Um, which we'll probably dive into later. Um, so they're tied with them for second place. The Eagles have a winnable game coming up this week against the Cardinals. Might be a preview and a pick. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I think the Giants just got to find a way to win football games. They did against Chicago. Now you go to Green Bay, and that's going to be really difficult. But I, I do like the fact that they were able to just pull one out here. That's what they needed to do, and they did it. Yeah, Saquon weeds the NFL in rushing right now with 463 yards on the ground above Nick Chubb. So Saquon doing great things. I mean, that Green Bay game is interesting because it's actually in London. So right. for what you, you would have thought is technically a Packer home game, sort of now has this extra wrinkle where both teams are doing some travel and it's being played at 9.30 in the morning. Like the Packers are coming off a game where they nearly, they had to go to overtime against Bailey Zappi and the New England Patriots, a team that I've essentially ruled dead from the outset is on their third string quarterback, no Mac Jones before the week. Brian Hoyer goes down mid-game, ruled out for the rest of it. 
And Bailey Zappi takes them to the point where the Packers had to kick a field goal to win it as time expired. Like the, the Packers nearly choked that thing away. The Patriots were a first down from having a legit chance of kicking a game winning field goal in OT. So there, there's definitely a case to be made for the Giants here. I, I think they came, the last I checked the odds, they came here plus eight. So the, the odds makers aren't really giving them much of a chance, but the Packers did not do much last week to make me feel super great about them. And I think the Giants, like this could be another opportunity for them. Like, we, we try to word it so many ways, but like they just, they somehow find these odd ways to win. And like this past week, they, they dominated the ground game. I mean, you, you mentioned it, Danny Jones using his legs, making the best of what he could do. Obviously he has really no legit pass catchers to go to. So he runs for 68 yards or runs it in twice and Saquon obviously doing his thing. I mean, you, for the defense, got to give them credit, six sacks, put the pressure on fields. Who's obviously had some issues just from the pocket this year, just being a traditional passer. The the Bears have had zero idea essentially how to deploy him effectively. So if you're going to put pressure on him, that's really going to neutralize a lot of what he does. And 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 yeah, it's a, it's a good win for the Giants. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people essentially still not taking them seriously and writing them off for nothing because of the teams that they beat. But I mean, wins are wins. Wins are hard to come by in the NFL. And, and if you're going to take three out of the first four, you need to be taken at least somewhat seriously. And I think this is probably the Giants' best chance to sort of silence those critics and put themselves in a different level by, I mean, maybe you don't got to win, but you play a tight game against the Packers here. And I think that people might start looking at them in an entirely new light. Now I have no idea what their quarterback situation is for this game. I haven't seen anything on Jones or Taylor. Well, Jones actually returned to that game, right? Yeah. He ended up coming back. He was limited in practice this week. So I think he'll be good to go. Right. Tyrod. Definitely, you know, he's definitely got a concussion. Right. And, and of course, I mean, after last week's Thursday night football debacle, you would think teams are going to take their concussion situations way more seriously. But if you got Daniel Jones out there, I mean, I think I saw Kadarius Tony. He's not going to play again. I mean, the, this is a guy that you just wonder what's going on. If this is more than just a nagging injury here, we, we've heard so much about KT and those off the field issues. But I can't put anything past them right now because it seems that like the coaching staff has a pretty good handle on what they're, what they're working with and what they, their limitations are. And they're, they're trying to take advantage of what their strong suits are. And that's clear that that's the ground game. And they're going to have to lie a bit on, on the defense to, to make some plays, but big spot here, London. I mean, it is a primetime game technically. So you're going to have some eyeballs on you and it's a chance for the giants to, to make a statement. And I mean, if, if you were telling me the giants, if they are end up four and one here, it's that's serious. I mean, and being got, the Packers is, would be a serious win yeah. if you're writing off how poor their the Giants schedule has been. But I mean, you know, any game that the Giants are in is because they're well coached. We said it with Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. They're in it because they're well coached all the time. Like you mentioned, the Billy Zappi, I think, was 10 for 15 with 99 yards in that game. So huh, I don't know what's going on with the Packers, but you know, you never know. You, you, the Giants will always be in games because they're well coached. That's what I'm so excited about for the rest of the season, no matter who they play. It's fun. It's actually funny. Bailey Zappi looks, I mean, go, go check out the pictures. I mean, if Mac Jones was being played in a movie, it would be Bailey Zappi. Like it, it's actually <laughs> comical. It's like, you're, you're, you're working with the same exact player. Like the same, they play the similar games, which is they, they're not very mobile and limited arm, they're not the craziest arm strength or anything, but, but they're accurate and, and they look alike. So I thought that was funny, but, but yeah, big weeks here for the New York teams. The Giants go across the pond to London to face the Packers. The Jets host Teddy Bridgewater and the Miami Dolphins. But as, as we know here, we love diving into, into all the big games of the week. And 
And, and there's really just a lot to look at here. I mean, you have a battle of AFC powerhouses come down to the wire between the Bills and the Ravens. The Jacksonville Jaguars made a big attempt at making a huge statement. They go up 14-0 early on the Philadelphia Eagles, but the Eagles pull out a pretty bad weather football game, 29-21. Thank you, Eagles. We move on once again in the survivor pool. Appreciate that. Always got to shout it out there because it really just needed a rebound after that first week. I agree with you. After that first week, I rattled off three in a row. So we love, we love where we're at right now. But the, I mean, we mentioned that Packers Patriots game. You have the Kansas City Chiefs in what was a 10 point win at the end. If you watched it, it was a total domination by the Chiefs. So the Mahomes able to get a win over Brady. Uh, a lot to dive into here. I mean, Harris, any particular spot where you want where you want to start? Um, I mean, you could definitely go with Kansas City over Tampa Bay, to be honest with you. I, you know, I picked them in my three three picks last week because I knew just based on history that, you know, Patrick Mahomes has had a lot of success against Tom Brady. And to be honest with you, you know, Tom Brady has really slowed down this year, to be honest with you. And, you know, we'll get into all the personal stuff probably a little later on, maybe right now. But, you know, being in the area, you know, you just hear all these things. There's a lot of stuff going on with the Bucks that I think, you know, with the coaching change, obviously, with Bruce Arians moving upstairs, it, it's it's a little different, to be honest with you, here in Bucks land. You know, I don't know what's going on, to, to be quite honest with you, but it's definitely different. There's a different vibe around the team. Um, and yeah, the defense looks shaky, but that's what Patrick Mahomes does, right? He dices up defense as well. And you were right. Like that was a total domination of the game. You know, the Bucks had something to play for, obviously with the return from hurricane Ian, you know, and their fans packing the place, which is a good sign to see. But, you know, again, Patrick Mahomes did his thing and he dominated and Tom Brady just looks a little sluggish. I mean, the Bucks, I mean, the Tom Brady version of the Bucks have been this high volume passing attack that has just pushed it down the throats of opposing defenses. And it just feels like now this with, with Todd Bowles, who, who as a Jets fan, I, he, he likes to run the ball and play a little bit of a slower game. And it feels like that's what they've went to. They've been leaning on obviously Leonard Fournette and rookie Rashad white got a pretty good look last week. Like they, they just don't present this just like monstrous passing attack. That That's pretty much what they've, they've been hinging on for ever since they got Tom. So Definitely some cause for concern there. I mean, there's not much to say about the Chiefs. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is is just so special. I mean, that touchdown that he threw to Clyde Edwards aware. Like he had absolutely like that's what he does. He makes something out of nothing. And and that and it feels like that you really could never discount Kansas City Chiefs, even though they lose Tyree Kill. And that that was a big thing. And and both of them have, have thrived in their new respective roles. But Patrick Mahomes is is gonna put yourself put you in a position to win a football game, no matter who's on the other sideline, no matter where the game is being played. And this was a prime example of that. I mean, the they, they just keep getting it done there. Yeah, Mahomes, Reed, and Kelsey, it feels like are just going to keep churning out wins. And, and we'll, it's really a matter of how far they go in the playoffs, not if they get there. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the system change as well. This is the first time Tom Brady's dealing with a coaching change, remember, you know, midway yes. through his tenure with the team. Now, granted, granted, do I think it was influenced by Tom? Yes, I do. Uh, I really do think that was influenced by Tom Brady. But there's also a side of me saying it wasn't because Bruce Arians is still in the organization. So, you know, I don't know what's going on with Tom. He's got a lot of personal stuff going on. I think it's really comical what's going on at 45 years old. Listen, let the, la- let the man be. If he wants to play football, let him play football. 
you know, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, people are humans. He's 45 years old. He's got what, three, four kids. It's, you know, people are human beings too. So it's hard to see Tom like this because he's so consistent. I know a lot of people love him, but you know, he's looking a little run down. You know, I, I gotta say just really fast before we move into another game. Like, like I keep peeking over this Thursday night game and it, it is, it, it's like watching just two of the most washed quarterbacks simultaneously try to lose the game. It is like hard to watch. Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson led offenses look absolutely abysmal. I mean, I just had to throw that in there. It's, 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 it's an eyesore to watch these two teams and the Broncos keep getting put on primetime football. Like it's something we all want to see flax them out, please. We can't watch the Broncos anymore. They wouldn't use Javante Williams when they had them. Now they don't even have them. So it's, it's just ugly between these two teams. I, I feel just, just, I never understood the hype. I get it. Russell Wilson. Boo hoo. Great. Phenomenal. What do you get a primetime against the Colts? Really? Matt Ryan. That's what you want to feature this week. I feel Look awful about schedule. both Look those at, picks. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I know we're running out of time on this first call. We'll get on the next one. But read the freaking schedule, NFL. Seriously, just read it. There are so many other games that you could have picked, and you picked this one. Not, not to say that you know two star running backs are out, but really a decrepit Matt Ryan and a Russell Wilson who's playing on a new team where the head coach is like a fourth grade teacher. It's what, so bad. It, it's really just it's unwatchable. Yeah, oh my god. Another game that that really caught my attention here. I mean, in what you would have thought would have been one of the just harder to watch games of the week between the Detroit Lions and Seattle Seahawks. I mean, the injury report, the Lions were decimated. No, I'm on Ross St. Brown, no DJ Chark, no DeAndre Swift. And you, you get a 48 to 45 just offensive slugfest. I mean, the, the Seahawks were able to pull this one out, but and part of that is because both those teams' defenses are absolutely horrid. But <laughs> seeing Geno Smith and Jared Goff go blow for blow was not something that I had on my on my 2022 NFL bingo card. I mean, that, that was just they, back and forth. These offenses, TJ Hawkinson have a day. I mean, he, he's a guy that's probably the, the, the third option at best when this team's fully healthy. And as the number one, he was really able to go out there and, and, and show some of his ability. Rashad Penny. Had an absolutely monster game on the ground for Seattle. I mean, these are two teams that I don't have particularly high hopes for for the long term of the season. But, like, it's hard not to mention when you have two teams like that combining for almost 100 points. Yeah, my God. I mean, I want to root for Dan Camp. I really do. But that defense is atrocious. It's so it's, – it's like – it's not even like I'm mad at it. It's just sad. It really is sad. Um, but hey, you know, Jared Goff and Geno Smith, I love that the Lions are playing phenomenal offense. I think it's great. I think Geno Smith, I saw on Twitter today, um, you know, him getting really cocky at a, at a, uh, at a post-practice presser about how a reporter apparently hasn't seen him throw enough because he's been a backup quarterback for seven years. I think it creates a really interesting dynamic, um, the fact that that game nearly combined for 100 points is probably one of the oddest things that will happen all year. It's just sad, though, to, to be honest with you. Like, the Lions, just gosh, it's just inept Detroit Lions football over, over, and over again. It's like, you know you know how we always complain on why the Lions are always playing on Thanksgiving? It's like, well, now there's a reason for it because they're going to put up 80 million points, but they're also going to give up 90 million. 
I mean, just find a common ground here, Dan Campbell. And I want to root for you. I really do. But if you give up over 40 points a game, I don't see how that's just sustainable. It's not. Now, if there's one positive, universal positive you can take out of that game, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Scorigami. I believe I am. Yes, yes, yeah. But 48 to 45 was the 1,073rd unique final score in NFL history. So there's this account, got to shout him out, at NFL Scorigami on Twitter. I mean, it's a holiday when this happens. They keep track throughout every single game of scores that have never happened in the history of football. And that was one that, like I said, it was the 1073rd score that's ever happened for the first time in football. So that's, I mean, I mean, that's a win in itself. I Scorigami, we love Scorigami. So that that's fantastic between the Jets win a survival victory and a Scorigami in one week. Like what more could you ask for having a field day in week four? It's fantastic. It, it, like, we're, we're already getting things up and running, but for how about a player that has been up and running now for this, these last couple of weeks. And it's a guy that you have been harping on. I would say way more so than me. And it's Cooper rush. He will never lose a game as a starting quarterback in the NFL. You took him in the picks. I left. They win by 15. It is I like a little spoiler, like, do, is it about time that I come around and, and show some love to Cooper Rush and the boys in the pick segment? Maybe. I, I think it's definitely possible that they're in there, but the, the Cowboys just, they, they've been rolling and it, it's clear. I, I mean, all jokes aside, Cooper Rush has done a really serviceable job for them. The defense is what is carrying this team. I mean, Michael Parsons is a monster. It seems like they've gotten a, a more motivated version of Demarcus Lawrence Trayvon Diggs is still making plays. Is he going to get burned occasionally? Yes. But is he one of the best game wreckers from the secondary in the league? Absolutely. And, and the Cowboys go to three and one here and they haven't, uh, obviously the one loss was with, was with Dak. Yeah. So, so what do you do? I, I mean, I think you have <laughs> to go to the guy that you just made one of the highest paid players in the sport, but Rush is so he sort of just keeps raising his stock. I think I joked about this with my friend, the Cowboys fan. Cooper Rush is going to play his way into the starting job for the Carolina Panthers at this rate. <laughs> that, that's what it is. The Panthers always are looking to trade for these trade their second through fourth round picks for guys that have no long term future. So you know what, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, who we were wrong about, Cooper Rush is next. Honestly, you're probably right because that, that the writing's on the wall for those two quarterbacks. To be honest with you, but hey, everyone called me crazy about the whole Cooper Rush pick. And the giant and um, sorry, the Cowboys playing the Commanders. I believe that was my uh, that was a pretty high pick, wasn't it? Was it a two point pick or was it a three? I think it might have been a three. Let's let's track the no plan picked records. But anyway, have... yeah, I think we're tied now, which I think is fantastic. No, no, you we were tied coming into the week. You absolutely you you knocked me back. I aced a it. Huge level this week. I aced it. I, we'll, I did pretty we'll, well. We'll break down everything that happened. They, that was your three point pick. So. You had boys minus three over the commanders, and they obviously they, they cover that with, with no sweat for you. Yeah, I just had a feeling. Uh, you know, Cooper Rush looked really good in the game against the Giants, and I was like, you know what? And, you know, I watch a lot of the primetime stuff, and I watch a lot of Jets and Giants, and I, I try and dab into most of the league when I can. But watching Cooper Rush was a sign to me. It was just like, you know what? He looked pretty good. Screw it. Why not? It's the commanders, you know? That might be a preview to a pick coming up in a little bit on the flip side. But, you know, Cooper Rush, I give him a lot of credit. You know, if things go wrong with Dak Prescott, I think there's a short leash on Dak Prescott, to be honest with you. 
there's no reason why if he comes out and the Dallas Cowboys lose two games, why Cooper Rush isn't put right back in there. You know, Jerry Jones didn't even want to confirm it if there was no quarterback controversy. Because, I mean, Cooper Rush keeps winning games. So there is. And I think it's great. Because I think I think Jerry's stirring the pot there. I mean, we know him. I think it's cool. It's There's just good. No way they move off from Dak here. If they lose two games in a row and you're still fighting for a for a good wild card spot, and, and Cooper Rush looked as good as he did. Granted, it was against the Giants, who three and one can turn to three and seven in a flash, and Washington, who's awful. Um, you know, who knows? You know, I I I. I wouldn't hate to see it. I think it'd be great. I think the NFL and the NFL fans have really stirred the pot over the years. It's like, is Dak worth the money? Now he's really got to go out and prove it. Obviously, it's a short-term thing, but I think this could be a cool thing just to kind of look at and monitor just to see what happens with Dak Prescott. Yeah, I, I, I'd be legitimately stunned if, if Dak ever was pulled from that position when he was healthy. But, I mean, Rush always makes it. A conversation and people are going to talk uh, it's going to be you, yeah you're right a little, the word pressure well, like, why not a little bit of a little kick in the rear end that like there's a guy behind you that's been getting the job done so if you don't look over your shoulder a little bit i don't think i, I don't think that's a bad thing for dak if i'm being totally honest but no and i think it might in my recollection of time it might be the first time that that's ever happened you know granted his first year you know he was still, he still had tony romo behind him but you know Things worked out the way they did. I think it's the first time there's really some pressure on Dak where it's like, hey, if you underperform, there is a guy who has gotten the job done. Am I wrong? No, no, I, I don't I don't think that's the case, especially considering Dak was the guy that sort of came from behind Tony Romo. And when Romo went down, he took over, took opportunity in that situation. So uh, you, you don't think we're in a situation where that's now happening to him, but there, there's at least a little, there, there's someone knocking that behind you that you know could at least lead, lead the team some, to some victories. So that, that's an interesting little development there. I mean, some other, I mean, some minor storylines that we're not going to break down. The Titans beat the Colts. That's sort of what you're saying. That's going to be a, a little bit of a look into who actually is able to take advantage here in this division. The, and now the Colts are, with, with nine minutes to go in this game, they're down three points on Thursday Night Football to the Broncos. So the Colts could really quickly fall out of things here if they don't get a win. The, the Eagles remain the only undefeated team in the NFL. They move to 4-0. Um, you have, we mentioned it briefly, but the Bills and Ravens. Now, this is one, the Ravens got to a 14 nothing lead. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, does this make me look good for how bullish I was on the Ravens? And I'm like, this is going to be just a team that I feel like I could ride to the end. They're my pick to win the Super Bowl. And, I, and I'm like, okay, perfect statement here at home to go beat the Bills. And, and the Bills are able to pull it out. I mean... That, that, that was disappointing, not only because they are in the AFC East, but because I think that would have been a nice statement victory for the Ravens against a team that I think if they want to come out of this AFC, you're not going to get there without having to go through Buffalo. So that, that, that was a little upsetting, but it was a close game. I, I know that was a, another nasty weather game. So that probably plays a little bit more into the Bills and the Ravens, but nevertheless, that... You know, that's going to be one that I think we have we have something to look forward to in the future, potentially. Yeah, I mean, especially with, you know, Lamar Jackson looking to earn some money. Um, that was a hard loss. And, you know, the Buffalo Bills are the Buffalo Bills. You know, even it's just like we said about the Giants. You know, they found a way to win a game. 
you know, Buffalo is just that good talent wise to find a way to win a game. So that's something to look forward to, you know, uh, hopefully the Ravens can get going here and bounce back. Cause then that's, that's two pretty big losses when they were leading by at least two scores going into, going into a half. You don't like to see that. That no. does worry me. That yeah, does. not at all. Especially, you know, referring that first loss, that Dolphins game uh, yeah. week two. So yeah, uh, not pretty for the Ravens, but you know, Lamar's Lamar. He, he's an MVP caliber quarterback and you just hope that he can find a way to win. And you know, I, I just saw this game was hiding at the bottom of my screen. I think there's a perfect last game breakdown before we get into the picks. 49ers and Rams. We had a lot of talk about them the week prior. Obviously, we each have one of them as our projected division winner. I had the 49ers, you had the Rams. And this is a very interesting spot here because the after Trey Lance got hurt, they went back to Jimmy G. And I think this was, if you're, we were talking about Russ with Zach Wilson, I think it was fair to say that this was probably going to be Jimmy G's first fully ingratiated game back into the system. Obviously, he's familiar with it, and it's a lot of the same personnel. But when you're not actually on there getting the reps and getting a feel and rhythm for the offense, you're going to take a second to get back into the swing of things. And it seemed like it was a lot more of prototypical Jimmy G here. And I say that in a positive and negative way. The positive being that he looked way more competent and he was able to make the basically the caliber of those that he typically makes. But then I also sort of put a little spin on that where it's like, this is probably the best you're going to get. Like, this is just what Jimmy G is. He is a game manager. His biggest play of the game that resulted in his only passing touchdown was just a Debo spectacular, where he essentially throws a ball into a crowd of people. Debo goes up, grabs it, books it across the field, makes three guys miss in a route to the end zone. I mean, if that's not Debo Samuel on a nutshell, I don't know what is. The, the, what he could do with the ball in his hands after the catch is just unlike anyone else in the league. And, and it was like, it was getting memed on Twitter a little bit. It's like, that's going to go in the book. It's like a 60 yard pass touchdown for Garoppolo. When in reality, it was a bad throw that resulted in Debo making an amazing play. But I, I think that is sort of what, you know, you're getting out of Jimmy G here. And, and, and like I said, it's a good and a bad thing. We've seen that he could take them to the Super Bowl with his limitations because he manages the game and he's not going to lose it for you. But also when push comes to shove and you're in the Super Bowl against a guy like Patrick Mahomes, he's not going to win it for you. So I, I think you get just the – it's the Jimmy G experience, and I think we got a pretty good look at that for what a team is that it feels like for like this last couple of years, it's a team that besides that quarterback position, I mean, what don't they have? They protect the QB. They have a good run game, even without Elijah Mitchell. Jeff Wilson looks solid playing the role. You got Diva you can Kittle as your pass catchers, and, and the defense holds the Rams to nine points. Like this is a Niners team that you feel like always has the bones and the makings of a team that – I mean, let's be real. They are always making deep playoff runs, but you, you feel like one of these times they're going to go over the edge. It's just Ken Garoppolo put them over that edge, or is it going to have to be everyone else that's going to have to whip him to that point? But I think this was a good statement when at home for the 49ers. They now sit dead even with the Rams at two and two. I mean, coming into that this week five, everyone in the NFC West is two and two. So it's, I guess, it's, I mean, it's anyone's division here, but I think we still see it coming down to these two teams, but I feel better now about the Niners after this beatdown. It was funny because one of my good buddies, Rock Riley here in Tampa, asked Tom Brady about the the plethora of two and two teams in the NFL. It's not great, but, you know, I, I do think Jimmy G looks confident in his abilities because guess what? He's taken home a boatload of money after every game. I think that's a big driving force into why Jimmy G is just being Jimmy G. I mean, he's got that to he's got money to play for. He knows he's not going to be back next year. Right. So I think that's something that, 
you know, he knows. And, you know, maybe it's it's boiled down inside him with a little chip on his shoulder. Like the team has given up on him and the 49ers want to go on a little run. I think they can. I think Jimmy G's more motivated right now because now he's the guy and he knows this will probably be it for him. Um, but it's a good statement when, you know, the Rams are obviously defending champs, good team. And like you said, I think Debo Samuel is up there right now. Like we mentioned, Saquon in the top three, no question. Depot's probably top three, top two, maybe receivers in the league. It's special what he's got. A lot of two and two teams in the NFL, though. If you look at the division standings for, for pretty much all the divisions, I mean, a lot of two and twos and a lot of tight knit. You know, you look at, you know, the, the NFC East, you know, the Giants and Cowboys are both three and one and the Eagles are four and oh. Other than that, you know, a lot of teams are two and two. It's different. So, you know, we'll see what happens down here. It's again, another, it's been a good start to the NFL year and it's something that we can keep looking at and it, it kind of helps us with our three point picks. It, it does feel like no teams in either direction are pulling away from the pack when it comes to being good or bad. Right. So that's, I mean, you have the, the Texans that haven't won yet. The only team without a win, they're zero, three and one. They tied with the Colts as we know, week one to my demise and the, the Eagles are four and out, but. Yeah, no, it's, it just seems like a lot of the middle ground here. I wonder how much of that has to do with teams not really playing their guys in the preseason and them taking a little bit extra longer to really get into the swing of things. But but yeah, I mean, one last note on that that Rams 49ers game. We, we talked about it, a lot about the Niners, but with the Rams, a couple just a couple quick points. Matt Stafford has is, is sort of been shaky to start this year. I mean, coming off that fantastic first year in LA where he obviously leads them to a Super Bowl victory, he has not seemed to to just have that same that, that that same just sharpness to his game that we saw last year where he felt like he was on another level, especially with Cooper Cup. And and the other point being Cooper Cup, I mean, I, I mean, how good is this guy? Like, if you thought there was going to be any, I, I mean, I don't want to call it hangover, but like there, there was a case to be made that like this was obviously Cooper Cup's first elite year as a receiver. And, and you wonder if this if this was more of a mirage or, or what he actually is. And and it is now officially clear that Cooper Cup is one of the be- bar none three best receivers in the league. Like Cooper Cup is so good. He obviously has a great relationship with Matt Stafford, so he's getting targeted like double-digit times a game easily. But yeah, no, Cup, Cup is serious. He is now in that top class of receiver in the NFL. Like last year, if you were going to have me do a receiver rankings, I would have had him below guys like Tyreek and Devontae just because they'd done it year in, year out. I think now I have to put that aside and be like, Cooper Cup is as good as it gets. And and there's not many more guys I'd want with the ball in their hands if, I, if I'm trying to make a drive to win the football game. But that was not enough for the Rams. I mean, they were silenced to just – I mean, they, they, they couldn't even hit double-digit points. So I think there's definitely some cause for, cause for concern there, while the 49ers were able to at least get a little bit of that monkey off their back. Yeah, I mean, anyone that knows me knows I'm a huge Cooper Cup guy. I think uh, even last year, you know, I thought there was a chance he could have won the MVP, to be honest with you. The, the way he was playing, but, you know, going back to Stafford struggles, you know, Robert Woods hasn't been that good this year. Um, obviously no Odell for Stafford, you know, to have a little number three guy to throw the ball to uh, that obviously makes a little bit of an impact, no matter what you want to say about Odell. And uh, yeah, it's a struggle for the Rams. So, but no, I do agree with you on Cooper cup and, you know, clearly, uh, you know, I personally, you know, we said it at the beginning in episode one, there's going to be a new Super Bowl champ this year. So you know, will the Rams make the playoffs? I don't know. Do I think Stafford will rebound? I, I do think he can. He's a veteran. He's got the pieces around him to get it done, especially when you have Cooper Cup. So, yeah, that's another thing to look out for in this in this great season so far. Well, I think one reason why Robert Woods not a great season for the Rams this year just, is because he's on the Titans. 
wow, I screwed that up. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I mean, it, it's, it was definitely an interesting transformation for the Rams this offseason because you tra- they trade Robert Woods and you lose Odell. And you bring in Allen Robinson, who's a guy that I really felt was going to be a huge presence on this team. And, and he is doing absolute scratch. Like, yeah, I started Allen Robinson in fantasy uh, over Adam Thielen. And he got me all of nice, a nice three points. And Thielen's got got 12 for me. One time Thielen decides to catch the football. But, you know, that's that's another good point, too. I mean, they're without Van Jefferson still. But A-Rob's, it's been a cause for concern because it's not like they brought him in here for cheap. Like, like they they paid him some decent money to come in here and be the number two behind Cooper Cup. And and. The, the number two in that offense has really been Tyler Higby for the most part, the tight end. I mean, I wonder what is going on with A-Rob here. Is it that he just hasn't had that connection with Matt Stafford yet? Or, or is A-Rob not the same receiver that he was a couple of years ago in Chicago and before that in Jacksonville? Like, I'm starting to get some serious causes of concern for Allen Robinson. And, and he's a guy that I think if he does not get it together soon, I mean, you, you talk about from a fantasy perspective, he is going to become droppable at some point because he has gotten – it seems like no traction. It's not like it's getting better with Stafford. So I think it will be nice to see McVay really make a point to get him involved because he is supposed to be an integral part of what the Rams are doing. And maybe that would help turn around their offensive woes. Well, thank you for the fantasy advice. And yeah, you know, I agree. Anytime you have your tight end as your number two option is just. Unless you're Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews. Right. Which makes sense. And those guys could be number ones to be honest with you, but you know, it's not ideal. Definitely not ideal. No, absolutely not. And, and with that, Let's take a little bit of a look towards this next week. We are heading into week five of the NFL season, Harris. I mean, it's, it's flying, first off. The fact that we're, we're already here at week five, it, it's, it feels like with football, like that first week hits, and then the rest is just a blur, and it's the postseason. Like, we're, we're already starting to see teams. I mean, what we said right now, for the most part, it's been sort of tight, a tight pack where you don't really have two team, too many teams falling out in a good or bad way. You're going to start having that happen here as you get into the bye weeks and teams like we saw Kenny Pickett already. That's a quarterback change. Uh, I think this is a point where you're going to see start teams sort of really showing us what they actually are and the direction they're going to go in for this season. But there's some good games this week. I mean, you have a battle between the the Cowboys and Rams. That's another big test here for Cooper Rush and, and the Rams are looking to get back on track. You have... Sunday night football. This is a game I'm going to absolutely love to watch between a battle of NFC, AFC North rivals, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. That's going to be a high octane game between Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow. Very excited to see that. You have Raiders and Chiefs, an AFC West matchup on Monday night football. Uh, th- so there's some good games this week. Not going to get into all of them, of course, because we dive into them the next week and we're going to recap them all. But Harris, you took a huge step in the pick segment this week. Very disappointing for me. We came into the week in a tie. You now sit here as we currently stand. Neither of us went with this Thursday night game. You took a commanding 14 to 9 lead over me by nailing all three of your picks. And a perfect week for you, taking Cowboys minus three, Chiefs plus one, and Raiders minus two and a half. Whereas I hit my Raiders minus two and a half for my one point pick, just like you did. But Jaguars plus six and a half and Packers minus nine and a half let me down. I mean, I did say, I said on last episode, I wish I could just take the Packers for all six of my picks. Good <laughs> thing I didn't for all six of my points, because good thing I didn't, I wouldn't even have gotten the one at the end that I got out of the Raiders. The Packers totally shocked me by how just incompetent they looked against a Patriots team that I've been talking bad about all season. But yeah, awful week for me for no playing picks. You're up not 14 to nine. 
I need to make a statement this week and make up some ground. So I, I think it's only right that I go first here and lay out my picks. I, I need these. I, I got to at least have a positive week. Or even if you also have a positive week, it's not about me making up the ground in the standings yet. It's about me getting some mojo with some good picks. I want to feel good about where I'm sitting. I want to be reading these games correctly. We want this to be a good fight right up until the end. Absolutely. And, and I plan on making it that. I'm, I'm not just going to roll over here. So for my three-point pick, I'm taking the Minnesota Vikings minus seven and a half. Uh, of course, that seven and a half is just such one of those hook numbers where now you, you need more than the touchdown. But I feel pretty good here with the Minnesota Vikings hosting the Chicago Bears. The Vikings just came off a hard-fought win in London against the New Orleans Saints. But the, my main point being here is Vikings at home against the Chicago Bears offense that has had very big troubles moving the ball. And if there's one thing the Vikings do, they're going to move the ball. I mean, Justin Jefferson, obviously, absolutely elite. They have Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins at, I mean, thankfully, 1 o'clock. I think a big part of that there is that you know prime time, no factors that could take Kirk Cousins out of his element. As one of my friends says, Kirk Cousins on Sunday at 1 o'clock is one of the biggest weapons in football because there's <laughs> zero pressure, and that's when Kirk plays his best. So I would just be shocked there. I mean, this feels like one of those games that the Vikings could win pretty handily. Like, if they if the Vikings go out there and even just a quick 10 nothing jump start in the first quarter, like, I don't see how the Bears are able to re- really catch up in that. Comp- I mean, I, I don't see how the Bears are able to stay within the realm of what the Vikings offense could do, especially being on the road. If it was in Chicago and it was one of those cold games at Soldier Field, you could convince me otherwise. The Bears run the ball, keep the ball out of the Vikings' hands. But in Minnesota... I think the Vikings are going to be able to take this one pretty handily. So I'm going Vikings seven and a half for my three-point pick. Then it is what I teased earlier. It's about time I show some love for Cooper Rush's Cowboys. There we go. Plus five and a half on the road against the Rams. But I, I think, we, as we just mentioned, the Rams have some deficiencies offensively. They have not been able to, to really be as potent as they were last year when they won the Super Bowl. And, and I think, do I think the Cowboys are going to win this one? No, I, I think it's fairly reasonable to assume that the Rams could pull this one out at home coming off a loss. But at plus five and a half, I think the boys are going to be able to keep this one just close enough to cover that spread. So there's my official little dipping my toe into the Cooper Rush waters. I mean, you, you've capitalized off it enough, so it's about, about time that I get a little, a little taste of it here. And for my one-point pick, I always go with something a little off the beaten path. So why not take the biggest dog of the week with the Pittsburgh Steelers plus 14 at Buffalo? Oof. Now, I'm going to – you guys know I love talking about my survivor pool and picks in this and my thought process. I am going to go with Buffalo here for my survivor pick because Buffalo is, is the class, at least part of that top tier of AFC and, NFL, and the NFL as a whole. And as much as I think Kenny Pickett is going to give that Steelers team a little juice, I would be shocked if Pittsburgh and Kenny was able to go into Buffalo and walk out with a win. But could they cover two touchdowns? I think they can. Kenny showed a good rep, a good rapport with George Pickens, who is their rookie receiver that is uber talented. And I, and I just think you bring in Kenny Pickett, he's going to give them enough life. Along, it's not like they don't have playmakers. Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, Pat Fryermuth. I absolutely do not think they're going to win this game. And I obviously think quite the opposite because I'm going to roll with the Bills and Survivor. But could they not lose by four, 15? I, I think they're able to keep this one within two touchdowns, and that's why I'm going with the Steelers, my one-point pick. I like it. I, I think it's a little different. I 
have just made a last minute change. Wow. I don't know if you could see it through the Zoom, but I was making a little last minute change um, because it's unlike me to pick um, to play safe. And I don't like playing safe. So you really don't. No. So especially after last week. That's so, a live podcast for you. A, no, a last it, second change uh, of the pick segment, Harris. Uh, this could have massive ramifications. It's a huge deal. You know, I hope it comes out. I hope it seems like a big deal, but let's see. I did not change my three-point pick. So my three-point pick is the Philadelphia Eagles minus five and a half over Arizona. I think if you're talking about locks, I think it's pretty easy to be honest with you. So I'm going to go with that. My my two-point pick is where I change things a little bit. Looking through the lines, I originally had the Robert Woods Tennessee Titans <laughs> over the Commanders at minus two and a half, but I made a little change. I'm loving the Jacksonville Jaguars at minus seven over Houston. Texans stink. I think the Jaguars made a really good statement, even though they lost the game. I like Doug Peterson, and Trevor Lawrence looked really mature under Doug Peterson. So I think that is a good look. I think that's a really safe pick to make, and it's a little ballsy because I know Jacksonville's got a really bad reputation around the league, but it's different now. It's 2022. Number one, um, you know, I think this is a little bit easy, and I'm going to play this one safe. The Chargers at minus two and a half over the Browns. I think I'm going a little safe with that. I think Jacksonville might be my little outrageous one of the week, but those are my three. And, you know, it's time for battle. You know, I want to extend my five-point lead. Um, I came off really cocky last week, and it could have gone really south. It went really north. And I rode the Cooper Rush train. And the only reason why I didn't pick Cooper Rush this week is because I don't like the fact that Dallas is on the road. If they were at home, I would have picked Cooper Rush. But I do see that the Cowboys can pull one off on the road. I, I really do. Because I'm loving and riding the Cooper Rush train until Cooper Rush is officially done. No, I mean, it's official. Between the pick segment and you trying to convince me that he might steal Dak Prescott's job, I mean, you are waving the Cooper Rush pom-poms. And, and I, it was about time that I reaped some of the rewards. So I had to give it for my two-point pick there. But i got to say, for the sake of entertainment and the suspense of this segment, I, we, we really do not pick similarly. And we are not discussing this at all. And we, we're just picking what we feel go is, is good. And, and, and it tends to be different, which is, which is great because I need to make up some ground this week. It's obviously early and I feel good. I just want to get my, my headspace in the right spot where I feel good about what I'm picking more. So I'm not worried about you yet. This isn't a Mets brave situation where I'm checking the standings every day, but I have to keep an eye right now. I'm worried about myself. And I think this could be a week that I get back on track. I came out guns blazing and it, week one and two was mine and, and week three and four was yours. So week five, let's see what happens here. But I, I, I always get excited to, to make these picks and, and see what happens over the weekend. It's as if rooting for the Jets and my four fantasy teams and my survivor picks and my bets was not enough to worry about. I am invested in my no plane picks. It was really amazing because I was thinking about it a few days ago. I was like, man, I really should have made those three picks a parlay. But <laughs> you know, we parlay it here on the No Plain Views podcast. And, you know, join the bandwagon. Join the Cooper Rush bandwagon. It's uh, fun. Yes. One day, if, if Cooper Rush and Robert Woods, that would be the Harris fantasy matchup of the year right there. The, the It would make the, it amazing if Cooper Rush became the next Giants quarterback when, when, when Daniel Jones gets sent out by Dayball if the Giants end up 
you know, with a losing record, like we said in episode one, which could happen. Wouldn't that make for great content? Absolutely. And I think that is all we have for this week on the No Plan Views podcast. Another week in the books here, another week diving into the NFL, but the NBA is coming, Harris. And media day has just happened. And it's about time that we have our dip into the, the NBA. We're going to have, it, it's coming here and we are going to get ready to break down everything that you have to know about this upcoming NBA season, diving into the Knicks, diving into the Nets, the NBA as a whole, playoff predictions, finals predictions, all that and more. We're going to give it to you. We're really excited for this NBA season and, and it's going to get really interesting. When we have the NBA and the NFL going side by side. We're going to have to incorporate the NBA into our pick segment and we're going to, we're going to have a lot to look forward to because obviously, unlike the NFL, the, the NBA is, is going multiple times a week. And we're going to, that's really going to give us a chance to engage with you guys on a more regular basis. And with that in mind, give us a follow on Twitter at No Plain Views. That is where you can keep up with all of the content that we're pushing out, our pick segment, when we're recording, what we're going to be discussing. And as time goes on, absolutely more of our own personal opinions. I, I hope you guys like that tweet that I put out with my top three takeaways from the Jets. I want to be able to give more live reactions just opinions like that on the twitter so please give us a follow there rate and review us five stars on spotify and apple Podcasts. that is where you get this podcast for now if we start rolling it out on other platforms we will absolutely absolutely let you know but we hope you're enjoying what we're doing here a lot more good stuff to come and with that i am brandon mintz and i'm harris eisberg and thank you for listening to no plain views episode five join the bandwagon and we'll see you for episode six